You're listening to WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. Welcome to the afternoon. Ice Age heat wave can't complain if the world's at large. Why should I remain? Walked away to another plant. Gonna find another place, maybe one I can stand. I move on to another day, to a whole new town with a whole new way. Went to the porch to have a thought. Got to the door and again I couldn't stop You don't know where and you don't know when But you still got your words and you've got your friends Walking on to another day Work a little harder, work another way Well, uh-uh, baby, I ain't got no plan Gonna float on, maybe, would you understand? Gonna float on, maybe, would you understand? Well, I float on, maybe, would you understand? It might not be a lot, but I feel like I'm making the most The days get longer and the nights smell green I guess it's not surprising, but it's spring and I should leave I like songs about drifters, books about the same They both seem to make me feel a little less insane Walked on off to another spot I still haven't gotten anywhere that I want Did I want love? Thank you for listening to WMNF today. Thank you for being out there. My name is Joellen Schilke. I am the hostess who loves you. 
Absolutely. The mostest. Today's show, Art in Your Ear, we're going to talk with Tracy Medulla and Christina Molina. Have a beautiful, beautiful video art up at Tempest Projects called Ghost Orchid Fever Dream. I am so excited to talk to you all about this. I want to let you know before we do that, that support for WMNF comes from listeners like you and Suki222 with a mission of two gallons of clean water per person per day, 2,000 nutritional calories and 200 cubic feet of secure shelter as the basis for life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Visit Suki222.org for more information. And that is spelled S-U-K-H-I, S-U-K-H-I, 222.org for more information. On today's show, we already talked about, we're going to be chatting with uh, Christina and Tracy. I also want to wish happy birthday to Erica, one of the new uh, one of the new people at WMNF. I hope she has a wonderful birthday today. Coming up after... Art in your ear today, Brian Van Fleet is going to be sitting in on ultrasounds and playing beautiful global electronica for you. And then on the live music showcase just after two o'clock, we've got some blues, live blues music with the Rusty Wright Band. So there's all sorts of good things all day long here for you at WMNF. Last night, uh, later in the night, yesterday was a really intense day. I'm sure everybody out there, you have one of those days, not a bad day, super intense day. And I went outside with my dog in the backyard, and I've got a really leafy, tree-filled backyard. And the the sun was just, uh, the moon was just gleaming on everything. It was so beautiful last night. It was like having diamonds in all of my trees. It was just one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen. So I wanted to play the next song for you, or it's sort of a... um, It's not really a song. It's sort of a a poem song called Full Moon. And this is by Eden Abez. And uh, it just, it was such a beautiful night. I thought you might enjoy this while we get set up for our interview here on Art in Your Ear on 88.5 WMNF. live in an old shack by the sea and breathe the sweet salt air to live with the dawn and the dusk the new moon and the full moon the tides the wind and the rain to surf and comb the beach and gather seashells and driftwood and know the thrill of loneliness and lose all sense of time and be free to hike over the island to the village and visit the marketplace And enjoy the music and the food and the people. And do a little trading. And see the great ships come and go. And man have me a ball. And in the evening, when the sky is on fire, heaven and earth become my great open cathedral. 
where all men are brothers, where all things are bound by law and crowned with love. Poor, alone, and happy, I walk by the surf and make a fire on the beach. And as darkness covers the face of the deep, lie down in the wild grass and dream the dream that the dreamers dream. I am the wind, the sea. And again, that was uh, Eden Apez with Full Moon. I am really excited to have uh, two women in the studio today with me who I don't usually get in the studio. Welcome back, both Tracy at Medulla. Say hi. Hi. And why are you here? I'm here because you were nice enough to invite me, Joellen. <laughs> from? <laughs> from Tempest Project. Thank you. And Christine, welcome back. Christina Molina. Thank you. It's great to be here. Last time you were here, you were uh, with a project with John, his last name I just forgot. Jonathan Trevius. Thank you. Um, and again, a project about Florida. Uh, and you were kind of looking at some, you know, it's easy to sort of make the obvious thing, the topography. And then extrapolating from there, all these wonderful things about Florida. Uh, and then now you're back because of Ghost Orchid Fever Dream. So it's Ghost Orchid colon Fever Dream, which is a incredibly lovely and, but many more things than just lovely um, f- film that you made. What's best, video film? What's the best way to talk about this? Video installation. Video installation. Uh, and there are, and I just want to mention, dear listener, if you go to the Art in Your Ear Facebook page, you can see some photos and a very quick, I hope it's okay, a very two-second clip of the video installation so you get an idea of it. Um, and it, it is, uh, it's a combination of dance, of movement, dance, costumes, Sound and then an, a, uh, a narration, or, or the narration is uh, very poetic at some points and very um, explanatory, actually, at other points. So how did this get started, this fever dream about Ghost Orchid? Well, I was fortunate enough to be invited to produce a work for Project Row Houses in Houston in the summer of 2021, and the theme was Gulf Coast Anthropocene, So they invited artists who are working around ideas of the environment and this geological era that we now know as the Anthropocene. And I also had the privilege of doing a residency in the South Florida Everglades before then. And I was researching this rare and beautiful and mysterious endangered species, the ghost orchid, uh, while I was in residence. And I was inspired to make a work about the orchid because it's so elusive and special that it actually induces orchid delirium where (laughs) people are obsessed with trying to find it in the wild and um, maybe some folks know the movie Adaptation um, which is based on a true story about an orchid thief, John LaRoche Um, and so I was inspired by this very tiny specimen that could create such fervor as a model for uh, a being that could warn us about our impact on the planet and from its position of being an endangered species could warn us that if, if we don't um, 
check ourselves and treat the environment with respect, then there'll be no environment for us to actually live in. I know listeners are going to ask, so I'll ask right at the beginning, did you ever see one? I never saw one, but in June and July, you can go to Foxahatchee Strand in Big Cypress, and there's uh, one uh, species there that's called the super orchid because it has more than 27 blooms um, so far. It's like the highest blooming uh, orchid. So I plan to go there this summer to check it out. Uh, a couple of years ago, Clyde Butcher was on the show, and he's been on the show a few times, and he was talking about his secret place where he knows where a, a ghost orchid is. And I keep oh, thinking, wow. like, I need to go see Clyde, <laughs> go see this. So, and that is, I mean, the idea of it, that that this, this single, small, uh, rare creature has inspired so many people to go way beyond what might be considered sort of normal or uh, behaviorally correct to capture it. So you had that as a beginning point, and then you have this wonderful uh, movement and costumes and everything. How did it get from the inspiration to the final product, which is so hypnotic and poetic, and I don't want I don't want to make it sound like it's um, untouchable because it's also very welcoming and warm. The narration, which I, you do the narration, yes. is very sort of um, easy to listen to. Uh, when I was watching it, there was a gentleman sitting next to me, and we started. We we're kind of joking about it, and he was raving by it. I think he was talking <laughs> to you a bunch, Tracy, afterwards, raving about it, and just sort of like, "Wow, good." So this is what you know. This is another a convert, an instant convert. So we, how before we dive into how did the concept sort of come to you that you wanted it to have all this movement and narration in it? Well, I think sometimes we can create more empathy by, because we're human, by anthropomorphizing things. And of course, the the ghost orchid is living and it has its own, I think, energy and life. But I think that humans can relate to other beings on a human a human level. So I knew that I wanted to create this character of the ghost orchid um, that's directly speaking to the viewer as if they're an orchid hunter trespassing the swamp. Um, and I usually work in a performative way in my own practice because I feel that I have to do things with my body to fully understand them. And so um, I also knew that I wanted to direct and not be the one in the costume so that I could see the movement taking place and analyze it as it was happening and shift it if I needed to. So I had the opportunity to work with six different dancers and I gave them the script and a prompt and a, a kind of excerpt of the sound and had them working on a sound stage, um, listening and interpreting the life cycle of the ghost orchid from um, basically from seedling to uh, pollination to bloom and then eventually towards to its death. Um, and I think that seeing seeing the movement can really again generate a sense of empathy for this for this being and also the opportunity to speak directly to the viewer was uh, what inspired the narration part of it. One of the things that was so like a tiny detail that was so delightful were the drops, like drops of water on it. And the sense that there was 
that you that I we were watching something that has a life of its own, completely separate, but not antagonistically separate. That you know, there's like sense of wanting to communicate, which of course. I hope, you know, Ghost Orchids probably see us and they're like, no, get away. Speaking of thing. So, um, Tracy, I want to bring you in now. So, uh, obviously, you've worked with uh, Jonathan and Christina before. How did this get to be uh, Tempest Project's first exhibition of 2023? Da-da! So, sometimes you have a long-term plan. And then sometimes you have to change your long-term plan. <laughs> uh, Happens I, in the art world. <laughs> which I've done for the last three years. Um, this, this piece was actually part, it was accepted as part of Karst Ground. Mm-hmm. And that exhibition, which closed last night, um, that exhibition was juried for a completely different space. Mm-hmm. And when we got into this building, I was like, Your hey, new beautiful space. Your new, new amazingly space. beautiful space. Um, Christina and I had a discussion about making sure that the piece was seen properly. Mm-hmm. And there just wasn't a way to do that in the rest of the space with it still being a little bit under construction and not really knowing the best way to present it. So I said, hey, I have this great idea. Why don't we put it in Volta? And it can be the first exhibition of the year in Volta. And I think it was the best decision. Um, it's, it's really, there's nothing that breaks my heart more than having somebody's work not be presented exactly how they want it. It's, mm-hmm. it's really the job of the gallery to do that. So um, I just wanted to make sure it was done right, and the space seemed to be the best space for it, and I think that it's the best way for it to be viewed. And when you see Dear Listener Go, and it was just really, um, a lot of times people are not quite sure, even you know, 60 years after video installation art really sort of rose up to human recognition, um, a lot of times people are sort of like, oh, you know, not always sure of to it. So to describe it, it's Volta is a sort of a single room gallery, a smaller gallery. And so there's two large screens with different stuff going on the screens and then a one bench where a couple people can sit and watch it. So it has a very meditative, it's a dark room, a very meditative quality to it that the video disrupts, you know, and and was that part of it to have this sort of like total focus, but also, I mean, it, it, it takes you on a little bit of a journey, I guess is what I'm saying here. So, uh, and and do do you see this video before we start diving into it more, Christina? Is this a video that you see as part of a larger sort of focus or body of work that you're making, or does each kind of project that you do sort of stop and start with it, and then you're done and you move to something else? I see it as a larger body of work. I'm for the last decade, I've been working around ideas of disappearing terrains and our impact as humans on the environment. And so those are things that I'm always thinking about, and I see this work fitting into that larger practice. Um, So absolutely, it's kind of a train of thought that um, this is like a punctuation part of it. I work work part-time for a small environmental organization that works with music, and the environment and trying to inspire people to do something about the environment. And I feel like, uh, of course, I'm extra drawn to work that that does the same thing to inspire people and sort of, you know, make people perhaps feel a little bit more 
panicky <laughs> about needing to do something without it being a, a negative thing or hitting you over the head like you must you know stop driving don't eat plastic or you know any of that stuff uh, so I I have an extra appreciation for this being out there. Um, we're speaking with Christina Molina and Tracy Medulla here uh, to talk about Tempest projects. Uh, Christina's work opened up last night in the Tempest Volta Gallery. And then, of course, there's a larger gallery in some different spaces and a micro cinema and all this stuff in Ebor. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had uh, uh, a couple of people on talking about Ebor and the history of Ebor and uh, the arts in it and stuff like that. So I have to say that uh, it does warm the cockle of, cockles of my ice cold heart to <laughs> have uh, to see this kind of art sort of return to a place where I first started looking at art in the Tampa Bay area. I think you grew up in Miami area? Yes. So when you were uh, growing up in Miami, were there, um, were you aware, were there sort of uh, contemporary, like cutting edge contemporary art galleries that you could go look at and sort of get inspired by work? Sure, yeah. Um, You know, when I was in college, Wynwood and the design district was just starting to be an art center in Miami and... Um, it was at a time where a gallery, contemporary art gallery might have been right next to a um, auto body shop. And so you didn't know if the auto body shop was an art installation. <laughs> <laughs> Which has happened. <laughs> or, or if it was just an auto body shop. So I, I really appreciated, you know, at that time, it was not what it is today, for better or for worse. It felt mm-hmm. a little bit more um, alluring and mysterious, that area. And it felt a little bit like you were finding something, like a little hidden gem in the middle of, you know, downtown Miami. Um, so I had that opportunity. And certainly in school, we would go on many field trips to our local art museums. And um, I remember seeing... Uh, a video installation by Shireen Nishat um, at what used to be the Miami Art Museum mm-hmm. and remembering and thinking, I didn't know that you could do this and I want to do this. You know, that's exactly where I was going with this is because sometimes we, and, and I dated a, a guy for a long time that lived right right by the district when it was blossoming. And so we went to it every time I was in Miami, we, that was where we hung out. And I saw a lot of stuff there that was at the beginning of sort of the Florida version of video art, the Florida version of installations, the Florida version of combination of movement and things like that. So it's interesting to hear like there was some inspiration in there. What When you are working with video, you, you spoke earlier about wanting to direct and not wanting to be one of the performers because you want to see it. Is that standard for you or in the past have you been more doing everything, like I'm going to do it all by myself? Because you composed also right. the music. Yes, usually I would be in it, but I, I think now I'm shifting towards um, letting people who are experts in their field mm. do the thing because I, I'm seeing it's a, it's a, I can do it, but it's a little bit too much to hold to be in the thing, look at the thing, direct the thing, analyze it. So I think it, having somebody who's 
an expert in movement. I love to dance, but I'm not an expert in movement. But somebody who just gets it when I say, I need you to interpret the life cycle of this orchid. And they're like, okay, I got it. You know, in 30 minutes, because I only had the dancers <laughs> for 30 minutes right. segments. Um, and so I think seeing that come to life and having somebody use their skills and abilities and their life's training in the moment kind of unfold before my eyes for the camera and then I can say I need you to repeat that gesture or maybe push that a bit further I, I can do those things in the moment whereas if I'm doing them myself I have to do it and then I have to review it on camera and then I have to do it again mm-hmm. so it's just much more efficient and also much more exciting because when you collaborate of course somebody is always going to do an interpretation that's way different than you would have thought of. And that's really exciting to witness. That I think is probably one of the best parts of collaboration is Mm -hmm. because why would you have someone so good at what they do without following them a little bit along the way, walking together hand in hand. Absolutely. Um, So the Ghost Orchid uh, is, as you said, there was the adaptation, the book in the the movie. Uh, There was, I don't know if it was in Bartram, but in the early Florida journals, you know, just rhapsodies, poems about it and and rhapsodies about it. Uh, Besides, or maybe it's not besides the fact, is it so intriguing when you were putting this together, was its rarity, do you think, that makes it so intriguing? Or, you know, what, as, as you were getting to, because I understand one of, the, one of the pathways for this was sort of, here's the fragility of the environment, here's what we need to do. But the, the ghost orchid, were you exploring, or how did you explore what is so alluring about it? Well, there's many things that are alluring about it. First of all, it's called a ghost orchid because it's attached the bloom is attached to a very thin stem, so it looks like it's hovering over, hovering in air or hovering over water, and, and that's why it's called that. And it, it, the shape of it actually looks like a little ghost. Um, and it's a, Like a pet, ghost dancer. <laughs> yeah, the petals are all white, and it usually grows in very um, canopied areas, so it, it really does look like it's just floating. So I think part of the allure is just the look of it and how... Um, strange and interesting and alien it looks. Um, But another thing is that it's super fastidious, like most orchids, but this uh, ghost orchid, the tragedy of it is that it's been poached historically because of its rarity, because of this kind of collector's desire to own and possess something that other people don't have, but it won't grow anywhere outside of its environment, which is South Florida and the wetlands in Cuba. And so nobody can really keep it alive once they once they do take it out of its environment. There's only one scientist at the University of Florida who has been able to um, to grow it in a lab for the purposes of reintroducing it back into the wild to proliferate the species. And so this figure, John LaRoche, he claimed that he was the only one who could grow it in a lab. And we, that's that's yet to be proven, I think. Um, so I think that's part of it too, is this kind of godlike desire to control a specimen that otherwise won't grow and to think that you are the one, this kind of hero complex. It's kind of a Shakespearean can, tragedy right, to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I th- so I think that's part of the, it's, it's myth. Right. Um, that in our, in our kind of 
consciousness. Like the greed and the, the desire and the greed and the passion kills the very thing that you have desire and greed for. And, exactly. Which has been a, a tale that has been explored since I think people could tell stories to each other. Exactly. So, um, so this was not a piece that you collaborated on with Jonathan? No, although he's always so supportive right. and... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And of course, I always ask for his feedback because I really trust him. Not only as my husband, but my collaborative artistic right. partner. And when you and and looking at you know looking at your work, of course, knowing you're coming on the show, went back and, and read and looked at all your work. You kind of move back and forth between collaborating and solo projects. It looks like. Uh, what are some of the difference for you when you're doing something solo? Like, what are some of the things that um, that you like to navigate by yourself mm-hmm. as an artist? Well, I'll say, I mean, of course, I have my own specific interests and my own specific, like, artist formula, let's say, um, that I like to follow. But I think all of my projects are very collaborative. And it, I think I just think about what the project needs and who the people I need to reach out to are. So with the Ghost Orchid, um, you know, there I hired six dancers, two people helped me fabricate the costume. Shout out to Rin Wilson and Savannah Stevens. Was that just, was there several costumes? There's one costume. So the headpiece was designed by Savannah Stevens, who's Mm -hmm. a very talented artist in New Orleans. And Rin Wilson also um, uh, helped me fabricate the rest of it. It's so interesting. It's such a, you know, because there is a sense of, um, there's the, of course, the flower sense, but there's sort of an insect Mm-hmm. sense to it so but whatever it is the, all the senses are otherworldly except for the nails the nails, <laughs> the nails creep me out a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah and that's the point right, right? yeah <laughs> they're supposed to creep you out yeah so okay so you have costume design you have dancers and you you uh created and c- composed and performed the music yes so yeah so that was uh do you does it all move forward sort of at the same pace or do you sort of surge ahead with one facet and then, you know, and then sort of go back and surge on the other? How do you, how do you do that? Because there's so many moving parts. Sure. Ha, ha, ha. Not, I didn't mean to make a bend there, but there's so many parts to it. How do you know where you're going and then how do you know when you're done? Okay, that's a great question. So I think um, to be a good director, you have to be clear about what you want. And so I think for me, it always begins with writing and thinking about what it is that I want and how do I describe this to the people who are going to be working with me so that I can actually achieve what I want um, without, you know, making other people feel like they're wasting time or, you know, to, to give them a good experience with working with me because I want them to work with me again. <laughs> so I begin usually by writing a script and really writing to myself, like, what do I want? What are my priorities and how am I going to get that? And so to make this piece, I wrote the, the script first. And then I started creating like a little uh, draft soundtrack so that I could share that with the dancers. And I, I made a kind of, you could call it like a lookbook for the um, costume designers as well and showed them some inspiration that I had um, with other costumes. Like I was looking a lot at like the Bauhaus costumes um, and um, other experimental, uh, a lot of um, kind of Japanese um, geisha performance costumes I was looking at as well, and just kind of sharing those ideas and then presenting all of that information to my colleagues. Um, And then once I had that, 
then I filmed the dancing on the stage. Um, and I also shared all of this with the lighting designers too. And then um, I timed it so that it was only 30 minutes with each dancer, not to overwhelm them or myself with having too much footage mm-hmm. that then I have to parse through. Um, so giving us all a limit and then um, editing that um, using the soundtrack as a structure. And then um, the last part is always how do you present it in the installation setting. And the narration was something that, where did that um, move on the same pathway where it was, there was sort of a rough version and then it did, or did you need to have that sort of set before you got going or, you know, because the narration was so interesting and that's something I want to go back and listen again, you know, because the narration had so much more. It wasn't just kind of like, hi, I'm a ghost orchid hanging out <laughs> in the Everglades, you know, I mean, it was this, con- it was very conversational and very, um, very strong, you know. I mean, that's that's what I kind of like. To me, the ghost orchid was not like oh, I'm a victim. Mm. Be careful, you know. She's like, no, oh. the ghost orchid is the dominant figure, right? There. Very much yeah. so, like, yeah. you know. So, um, so, so that was an unexpected delight. Um, and so, how did that go? I mean, because I love, and and this is what I love. I mean, you're composing music. You're allowing dancers to dance, and, and the lighter people to do the lighting, and the you know custom people to do the custom. But giving them all the influences, directing, and coming up with it. Like I just love kind of this masterminding that you were doing with it. But I'm interested in the narration. What part where you knew what the narration was going to be? Maybe not word for word, but when when what where was that in this process? That probably came together. Mostly at the end, I had like uh, bullet points in a draft that I shared with them. And that was derived from many months of research. You know, I really went in deep researching the ghost orchid. I read Susan Orlean's article. I've watched Adaptation. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I looked at Clyde Butcher's books, you know. So I was really doing all of this kind of preliminary research and writing and then I had to distill it, like any writing, you know, mm-hmm. distill it down to its purest form or purest essence. And um, one thing that helps is actually this process where I would record myself speaking out loud the words and listening back and, and saying, no, that sounds awkward or mm-hmm. that's not a po- it's not powerful enough or the diction of that word is not strong. So what, what else can I use that, some, mm-hmm. that sounds sonically interesting or seductive um and so that's part of the process so that's probably the the thing that crystallizes almost right at the end Mm -hmm. um in in kind of playing back and listening and i would think to be able to see the performances and then have them perhaps add some words that you may not have used otherwise, but then it works so well with the visual part of it. Um, this is Christina Molina that we're speaking with here in Art Near. Also here with, with us is Tracy Medulla, who is uh, the queen of Tempest Projects. <laughs> <laughs> queen of Tempest wow. Projects. So when you were looking at Christina's work, uh, how do you see this kind of in the context of, of other Florida related art, not necessarily Florida artists. Um, you're just, uh, as you had mentioned earlier, this, I can't say that, Sinistra? Sinistra. Sinistra show, which is kind of about the sinister part of Florida, closed last night. And that's a that's an annual event that you do is have that show. And you've had a lot of different shows that sort of reflect on this insane and 
beautiful state that we're in. Just such a, um, every single dichotomy that you could have in a state. Hello, we're, it's in Florida. So how do you see what she did with Ghost Orchid, kind of in what is going on with how artists look at this state? Uh, can can I say something before I answer that? Yes, of I course. just want to clarify because I sometimes people only half listen. Cursed grounds closed last night, but yes, Christina, grounds, right. but Christina's show will be open for a whole month. That's right. It I is just, open until the um, I have it right here until. I'm glad you have it. I had it. <laughs> oh, se- February 2nd. February 2nd. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Almost exactly a month. It's close enough. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I love the Sinistra show. We do it, like you said, like right. almost once a year. Sometimes it's a year and a half, but we do it almost annually. Right. Um, you know, I was first introduced to Christina's work with um, Sad Tropics, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't curate Sinistra. There's always a guest juror, and it's always a very interesting experience for me to just sit by and see what the jurors choose. Um, Exercise and trust. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It usually works out really well. Um, Anastasia Somolovia was the juror for that exhibition, and I was really pleased with her vision of what is the sinister side of the Sunshine State. But to get back to, like, what I, you know, that correlation... It would be very hard for me to think of Christina's work and not think of Florida because of how I was first introduced to her work. Um, so, you know, for me, it's just, it seems like a very natural fit. Um, it's really tempting for me to want to curate that exhibition every year because I have a roster of very Florida artists in in my heart and in my head that are able to communicate um, and it's not even just the sinister side, but that are very um, prolific in their communication of what Florida is without overloading us with palm trees, sunsets, flamingos. And this is, you know, for me, growing up in Florida and being a, being in the creative community, I really pushed against Florida topics as a kid because I grew up going to my parents' beach condo and it was starfish. And like I said, it's like mm-hmm. all of those kind right. of cheesy, trinkety things. So it's always really exciting for me to see people's artwork that can convey the beauty and sort of the terrifying and the mysterious of Florida without... <laughs> the terrifying beauty. <laughs> the terrifying beauty without going, oh, that means an alligator. You know, right. sometimes it is an alligator, and I'm always really happy with those works too. But uh, Christina's work just very beautifully, and there's an eloquence to how she communicates what Florida is and does. And, and you said eloquence, and I thought you were going to say elegance, because it's also very elegant work. Oh. And you, you're working in, um, you grew up in South Florida, and, and you know, I'm familiar with this work about South Florida that you've made. You live in New Orleans. You did something for Houston. So you have these three semi-tropical cities in the U.S. And, you know, I mean, I know there's other cities, but these are three places that share a lot 
in the U.S., we are hit by hurricanes. We have flooding. We have uh, very transitory populations. There's um, probably the big, bigger uh, diversity in you know South Florida and New Orleans and Houston than many other parts of our, our country. Are those? Uh, and you started off the conversation, Christine, by talking that you're sort of asked to make something about. I'm not going to say Anthropocene era. How is the orchid part of that era, and how is this kind of um, and was that that request, and I don't know what, of course, that show, what they wanted, but was it because of these areas sharing the sort of ancient, it feels very ancient in South Florida. It feels very long ago when you're there, you know, and mm-hmm. the same time. So how is the ghost orchid part of that? Well, I think the ghost orchid for me is an example of uh, a species that's impacted by our encroachment. In, mm. on the environment. So the reason, so I mentioned one, the, one of the reasons why it's becoming, um, well, why it's endangered is because we as humans went out there and poached it, but also because, you know, there's a problem with overpopulation and um, development, um, architectural and urban development encroaches upon the landscapes where these species can grow and it changes things that we might not consider like humidity levels Mm -hmm. and um, predator and prey. And so one of the problems that was found um, specifically with the coast orchids um, lifespan is um, it wasn't an encroachment, not necessarily on their environment, but the environment of their pollinators. Mm -hmm. And so their pollinators couldn't grow um, if the humidity levels in the area change or they couldn't um, proliferate because of development. And so all of these things that we from the outside might study and think that we don't have an impact actually will impact on our, what we what we might say, oh, this is such a small micro level, but it creates a domino effect mm-hmm. for our um non-human family. Hmm. So um, I think for me, the ghost orchid was this perfect metaphor of this beautiful, um, inspiring species that that causes fervor and the ability to transcend. And yet we still t- take these actions, perhaps out of ignorance, perhaps out of greed, um, that will significantly significantly impact. In, uh, at the turn of the 19th to 20th century, uh, the fashion for feathers was decimating mm. um, all different populations, uh, bird populations, and especially in Florida. And that was, I think, the beginning of the founding of the Audubon uh, Society to protect <sighs> birds. And uh, the best we can hope for, I think, is that uh, more and more people are active in trying to protect things like this. We are we passed our time, so I do want to ask. I just looked at the clock. I was like, holy cow. Um, so I do want to ask, what, uh, is there something you're working on now? I mean, it must be strange, like when a project is over, how it has tales like this, you know, like there's all these little tales that as it ends, uh, are you moving into another project? Are you already on another project? What do you have coming up next? Yeah, so actually tomorrow, <laughs> oh, <holy God. laughs> I have another opening in New Orleans in a new space that a few colleagues and I have 
opened up in the Arts District of New Orleans. It's called the Parlor Gallery. Mm-hmm. And we have an opening called Echoes and Shadows. And it's a group exhibition that honors and contemplates the building that we're in, which is a historic uh, three-story French-style townhouse that was built in the mid-19th century by mm-hmm. an architect named Henry Howard. So uh, that will be opening tomorrow and will be up until um, late February. Wow. You know, I, um, I have all these plans to live in other places uh, for a while. And New Orleans is my next and first, well, first out, uh, part of that plan. And so I can't wait to, when I'm there, to see the parlor, Great. the parlor gallery. Come visit. <laughs> Tracy, what's coming up? with Tempest? Uh, In the main gallery, we have a group show called Jewels and Binoculars Hang from the Head of the Mule. It (laughs) is uh, a show with uh, Kendra Forup, Coulter Fusel, Michi Miko, and Michael Jones. And then um, also in the Square Gallery, opening the same night is a solo exhibition by Takeo Faison. And next in Volta is an exhibition from Will Douglas. And then uh, the uh, Jewels and Monoculars Hang from the Head of a Mule opens up at the end of the month, January 26th. Yes. So uh, you can find more information um, about our guest Tempest Projects is at tempest-projects.com. And uh, Christina, your website, I just accidentally closed it, is your name, Christina Molina. Christinamolina.com. And it's uh, C-R, not C-H-R-C-R. And thank you both so much for coming in today. So I'm so excited. We were supposed to be on phone. Having you live is just so much more of a pleasure. Uh, Dear listener, we'll be right back with some stuff going on about the area. Uh, And again, you can visit Tempest Projects uh, in Ybor City. If you do go to our uh, Facebook page, you can see I took a picture of the front door so you know what it looks like (laughs) uh, because it is located at 1624 East 7th Avenue in Ybor City, right around the corner from Cobra, which all of our WMNF listeners know. Uh, here is a road, uh, a road song for you, Christina, because I know I assume you're driving back to New Orleans. So this is some corner shop. Good to be on the road back home again. Here on Art in Your Ear, WMNF 88.5. And by the time that she gets home, she'll realize that I am gone. I'll be sitting in a back bar
some corner shop thanks to my guests Tracy Medulla of Tempest Projects and Christina Molina next week we're going to be chatting with Peter uh, Peter Kagayama the author probably best known around here for The Love of Cities that's the name of the book For The Love of Cities and projects that he did but he's got a new fiction 
book coming out, and he will be on the show next Friday. Um, I feel like I've got this whole month booked up. If you ever want to get in touch with me, please send an email to DJ, I'm not to DJ, to Joe Ellen, J-O-E-L-L-E-N at WMNF. Dot O-R-G. I, I'm going to give myself a little self-promotion here. I covered Flea Show early, earlier this week on Monday. So if you want to have just uh, three hours of just a little tiny bit of talking and lots of music uh, when something else on WMNF is not your jam, you can go online to WMNF.org and look on the schedule for Monday. Uh, noon to three, and I played lots and lots of music. If you like WMNFs, if you like Art in Your Ears music, again, coming up next is Brian Van Fleet uh, doing ultrasounds with some beautiful global electronica music. After that is a live music showcase with the Rusty Wright Band. They're a blues guitar band. Uh, we're going to hit all of your music needs. Uh, at 3 o'clock, uh, Reverend Billy and Marvelous Marvin do a fantastic uh, Roots of Rock and Roll show. Just a really fun show. Dropping knowledge all around the place, making you laugh. Uh, and then at 6 o'clock, every Friday, we have Steve the Hitman and the Soul Party. Classic R&B and soul. 8 o'clock is the uh, Dust Soul Kitchen, which is just a smorgasbord of of rhythm-based music, got jazz, you got hip-hop, soul, rock and roll, pop, I mean, everything, reggae, you never know what tasty treats they're going to have with you. Every Friday night, we end with Flashback Friday, which is a deep dive into Florida-based R&B and Florida-based soul. So great stuff all weekend long. You can go online to WMNF.org to find all of this information. Thanks again for being out there. My name is Joan Schilke. I am the hostess you love the most as you have been listening to WMNF.org, WMNF Tampa, WMNF, the best station in the nation. We're going to go out with the, um, oh, I played this on Monday, but I'm going to play it again. We're going to go out with Novel Vague. One of, oh, no, no, this is um, MXM Tune uh, with a cover of one of my favorite songs. Thanks for listening. Love you guys. Bye now. my stuff and I'm so strung out I'm high as a kite I just might stop to check you out Stop to check you out. WMNF Tampa.